Well, you can see our new uh, stage design behind me. Going for our, we're heading towards Easter, heading to Palm Sunday uh, next week. Although Teddy just let me know that the plant fell down behind me right before we get started. The palm plant, of all things, here. But uh, we're going to be continuing on in our uh, series here on the passion of Jesus. That Jesus loves you more. Jesus loves you more. And as much as we might love Jesus, and I hope we have a church full of people that love Jesus, that's kind of the goal, Um, the reality is we will never love Jesus as as much or more than he loves us. And that's a good thing, friends. That's a really, really good thing. (laughs) We know he loves us. How do we know he loves us? Because he showed it to us. He showed it to us in the clearest, most potent way possible. In the cross and in the resurrection, Jesus gave his life to redeem us. He bore, as we just sung about, he bore the wrath of God in our place. Well, friends, last week we looked at God's, God is a passionate God who welcomes sinners. We looked at Luke 15, which is the story of the prodigal son. Today we're going to look at a passionate prayer. A passionate prayer as we approach uh, the cross, Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane. I may, have, I may remember last week I mentioned that that word passion actually has two meanings. The old meaning for passion is suffering. So the passion of the Christ, what that used to mean always, was the suffering of the Christ. Uh, the day, days leading up to the cross where Jesus was crucified. That's the passion of the Christ. Of course, we use the word differently to refer to something that you're emotionally zealous about. You have a certain passion for something. Well, as you said, with Jesus... The two kind of come together. His passion was to give his life to save sinners. That was what he was driven by. What he was zealous for was to actually go to the cross and to redeem people to himself. But we're going to look at a specific prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. You're probably somewhat familiar with this prayer uh, because it's depicted in a lot of movies. This is Jesus at nighttime before he's betrayed. He is praying to the Father. And this probably is his most passionate of prayers. Friends, what is your passion? What are you passionate about? Uh, here's some things that people are typically passionate about. Sports. People get passionate about sports. Golf. I won't consider golf a sport. So I'm going to put it in a separate category. you got sports. you got golf. Cars. People get passionate about cars. Business. Family. Movies. Music. Whatever it may be, people get passionate about a lot of things. When you're passionate about something, you're emotionally attached to it. There's a heart behind it. There's a zeal for it. We see here, friends, that Jesus is passionate about prayer. Jesus models, empowers, and calls for passionate prayer. Look with me at Luke 22, verses 39 to 46. Luke 22, verse 39 to 46. And this will be on the screen in front of you. But if you're, you like to read it out of the Bible, there should be a few Bibles there. And it's in your bulletin as well. It's a short section. This is in all three of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But we're going to read from Luke's version, 2239 to 46. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This is Jesus' prayer right before he goes to the cross. He models, he empowers, and he calls for passionate prayer. We're going to see those three things uh, going through this passage. Verse 39 to 41, first, Jesus models passionate prayer. He's our example of passionate prayer. He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. So as Jesus is doing his ministry in Jerusalem, his typical uh, place of refuge at night, where he would go at the end of the day, would be to the Mount of Olives, and specifically to this Garden of Gethsemane. That's where he would go in these days leading up to the cross. Now the interesting thing, of course, is that Judas knew this as well. So when Judas went to the, uh, the Sanhedrin and he needed a, a way to find Jesus and to betray him, it was pretty easy to say, go to the Mount of Olives at night. That's where he camps out. That's where he stays with his disciples. It was his common place of rest. And his disciples follow him there. He comes there. Jesus knows what's going on. Of course, he has this foresight about what's to come. And so he calls the disciples to pray. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Something is going to happen. He's letting them know. This big event is happening. It's time for a trial. It's time for a temptation. Make sure you're praying. And then not only does he tell them to pray, but what does he do? He himself does the same. He goes about a stone throw away. So a stone throw would be within sight. They can see what Jesus is doing. Maybe even within earshot because they know what he prays. So either Jesus later on told them what he prayed or they can actually kind of hear somewhat what he's saying at this time. But there's a semi-privacy to what he's doing. And then it says Jesus kneels down and prays, which is unusual. Actually, the typical way someone would pray in the first century would be to stand up and actually to put their hands up. So when you see somebody putting their hands up when they pray, you might think, oh, that guy's doing something a little different. Actually, that was the typical way to pray in the first century. But there's something unique here, special, intense, passionate about this prayer, where Jesus falls to his knees. And before we look at the content of his prayer, Jesus is praying here, friends. Jesus often prayed as an example to us. Now understand, I'm not saying he put on a show. Jesus genuinely wanted to pray. Jesus genuinely needed to pray. He wanted to be in continual, regular communication with his Father, with God. So it wasn't a show. He really wanted to regularly be speaking with God. By the way, that's what prayer is. If you're someone here who maybe doesn't pray or hasn't prayed much, prayer is simply talking to God. (laughs) You don't have to make it into this big other thing. It's just talking to God. God already knows your heart. There's no fancy language that's going to impress him. It's just communicating with him. Jesus actually called God Abba, which was unheard of in his day, which is just the the familiar term for Father. Jesus spent time often in prayer. But he also used it as a witness to his disciples. He knew that his disciples were following him, that they would see what he's doing, and that they would eventually model it. We see this in John 11, specifically after praying. Jesus lifts up his eyes and says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. So Jesus is even saying, sometimes he prays, knowing that the disciples are watching, 
so they could see how he goes about it. And Jesus prayed in all different ways. There are times that Jesus would spend the entire night in prayer. The entire night. Jesus would pray before he ate, by the way. We see that. When he feeds the 5,000, he gives thanks. Before the Lord's Supper, he gives thanks to the Lord. Jesus would have short prayers before a miracle. One-liners. He even gives us the example of the parable of the the tax collector uh, and the Pharisee. And the tax collector's prayer is just a one-liner. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. But Jesus also had long prayers. John 17 is a long prayer of Jesus for his people. And we see his model and model in prayer here as well. When he's facing something hard. In fact, really the hardest thing you can face. Being utterly rejected by the Father by bearing the wrath of God. He knows what's coming. And what does he do? He goes to God in prayer. He even tells him, when temptation is present, you will be tempted. So go to God in prayer. Friends, whenever you're ready to face a hard time, whenever something difficult has happened in your life, go to God in prayer because it's a temptation to eventually, to perhaps even turn away from the Lord. So when you go to God in prayer, you've in sense won already because you've decided, I'm going to turn to God in this trial, in this difficulty, not away from Him. Let's follow Jesus' example to pray. You notice, friends, we pray a lot here at First Baptist. That's a good thing. I'm glad that we pray a lot. Uh, If you've been here for any length of time, you've heard me preach on prayer. That's because every month or two, you'll hear a sermon on prayer. Because prayer is that important. I preach on prayer again and again. We pray every Sunday. We spend time opening a prayer. We have our congregational prayer. Uh, We pray regularly. If you're in any meeting here at the church, an elders meeting, a deacons meeting, any prayer, any meeting we have, we almost always open in prayer and we close in prayer. We sort of clothe the whole thing in prayer and that's a good thing. Prayer really matters. As uh, Ron Mills said, the pastors here in Haverhill get together every Tuesday. Ron, I'm sorry, I don't make it every Tuesday. I know that, that's, that's, that's on me. But they get together and they spend time praying. And we said, this is too good, just keep to ourselves, so let's do a monthly prayer meeting that's open to all the churches that these pastors represent. So every month we have the United Night of Prayer. And if you were here at the last one here at, at our church, it's just a blessed time. I, think, I don't know how many congregations, maybe 10 different churches gathered for prayer. I got to say to my Wednesday night group who comes to pray every Wednesday at 6.30 regularly from 6.30 to 8, come to Wednesday night for prayer. That group has been meeting for, I want to say, close to... Eight, nine, ten years maybe. I don't know how long that group has been meeting regularly. We've had people come through. Some of them have gone to be with the Lord. Martha Metcalf and Gary Bowles and others. Uh, some of them have been come and had to go because of work. And, but that group has been meeting regularly for years. We've watched God answer prayers in mighty and awesome ways. We pray here. We want to pray. And I want you to encourage you not only to pray, but to pray with passion. As Jesus does here. Pray with your heart. Pray with your soul, friends. Prayer is, is a serious business. <laughs> it is a powerful and important spiritual work that we do. Friends, there, there is, there's a spiritual work that needs to be done, and it will not be done without prayer. Guarantee that this work that needs to be done in your own heart and in the lives of those you love, your family and your friends or people you're trying to reach, it will not get done unless we spend time in passion prayer. And expect God to answer. Yeah, let me say this, friends. If we as a church, First Baptist, if we start praying like crazy, if everyone here actually committed to really start praying for our church and start praying for our city and the surrounding towns, 
I can basically guarantee you something will happen. Something will happen. If we did that, if we just really devoted ourselves to prayer, something would happen. God would do something mighty and powerful because He loves prayer and He loves to answer the prayers of His people. He loves to speak to us. It's been awesome. I've talked about this all the time, but I love to, the vantage point of a pastor because I get to watch God answer prayer all the time. It's really pretty cool, actually, to watch him answer prayer. One of my prayers all the time we pray for is that the Lord will continue to provide for our church all that we need. And we get to watch that happen again and again and again. I've mentioned, I'll just give you a couple because I just love to tell these stories. But I remember one, you probably heard this one if you've been here before uh, because I mention it all the time because it's really neat. Our Friday morning men's group, one day we gathered, we had a coffee maker, uh, sort of an industrial coffee maker. It broke. And, you know, men get together, they like to drink coffee. Men and women like to drink coffee. So we didn't have a coffee maker. We said, what are we going to do? We prayed about it. Literally right after the, 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 uh, the men's group, we're standing by the door. It was David, me, and my, my dad and I standing there at the door. Somebody walks in from the, um, the, the uh, parlor next door, next to the church. He walks in. He says, hey, guys. His name was Wayne. I was wondering, uh, we have an extra industrial coffee maker. And we were just wondering if you guys would want one. <laughs> this isn't even a made-up story. This literally just happened right there, right there as we're talking about it. Uh, neat things, you know, we did the fellowship hall, and we were able to redo that by God's grace. And uh, we were able to do everything but the floor. Everything but the floor. So the floor had to wait because we just didn't have the resources, but we're praying that the Lord provides. Well, on the, one of the coldest nights of the year... What happens, but uh, they're demolishing a building right next door to the church, the property adjacent, and a piece of debris comes flying, breaks the window on the coldest night of the year, freezes our pipe, and the whole thing explodes, and all the floor is ultimately destroyed, and the insurance company buys us a new floor. And if anyone you know, from the insurance company hears this, I'm telling you, it was not insurance fraud. It really did happen. We just prayed, and God provided. Nobody set that up. What's more, they demolished that property. It went to Habitat for Humanity. They wanted to build on it. The city said, we don't really want to build there. So Habitat says, oh, we don't like to go against the city. So they said, you guys at the church, we want to know if you want this property. So not only did they give us a new floor by their demolishment, but they were actually demolishing a piece of property for us that would ultimately come to our church. Just neat to watch God work again and again. We saw it recently with the mortgage being paid off and with the city using our parking lot and the way the Lord has continually provides if we pray we really pray with passion and with zeal expect God to answer as he does so again and again but friends it's more than that look at verses 42 to 44 Jesus is not just an example of prayer he is the power behind passionate prayer let's look specifically at the content of Jesus prayer he says father if you are willing remove this cup from me this is not just a model for prayer. This gives us an insight into the cross itself, into what's going on in Jesus' mind as he, across, uh, as he approaches the cross, his passion, both in terms of his suffering and in terms of what he was, had come to do. I like what one commentator says, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus' soul is crucified. On the Mount of Calvary, his body is surrendered. In other words, it's at this point that Jesus' will is submitted to what is to come. And he's ready for it. And on the cross, his body is crucified. He says, Father, if you will, if, if, this, if this is your will, let my will be submitted to you. 
And some people read that and say, so did Jesus have a different will than the Father? You know, did God have one will? God the Father had one will, Jesus had another. And this theologically causes problems. But I think, friends, we can just read it and kind of understand the idea. Jesus, in his humanity, feared what's to come. That's just a natural reaction. He's going to be crucified. He's going to have the wrath of God upon him. He doesn't, in one sense, want this. He's not a sadist. He doesn't want the suffering. But of course, his greater will is to follow the will of the Father. That's his greater desire. I mean, you say, well, how can he have two wills? We all have two wills. I'll give you an example. Let's say you're on a diet, and you want a nice ice cream sundae, right? So you have one will that says, I want this delicious ice cream sundae. But you have another will, a greater will, hopefully, that says, I'm not going to eat it because I would rather stick to my diet. Competing desires, right? Same thing is true of Jesus. Yes, in one sense, of course, he doesn't want the cross. But he has a greater will, which is absolutely in line with the Father, to follow what he has called him to do, which is to drink from the cup. Now, what's this cup he's talking about here? If you know your Old Testament, this is a common illustration uh, for the judgment of God. There's a, there's a nation that's in rebellion against God, and the prophet says, and this nation will drink from this cup. Another nation is in rebellion, and, Jesus, and God promises, but the day will come when this nation will drink from the cup. And the cup he's talking about there is the cup of the wrath of God. It's the cup of the judgment of God for a nation that lives in rebellion against God. Well, here Jesus is saying, I will drink this cup. Not because he himself has sinned, not because he's done anything evil or wrong, But he drinks the cup in our place. He drinks the cup to atone for us. So that he bears the judgment we deserve upon himself so that we would get his righteousness. Talk a little bit more about that in a minute here. But an angel appears to strengthen him. We saw an angel appear in the desert, the 40-year temptation. Uh, 40 year, 40 day temptation that he had, fasting. At the end of that, angels come and they attend to him and they strengthen him. Here again, he needs the strength and he's given it. It says he's in agony. And what does he do when he's in agony? He prays more earnestly. That's a good word for us. The more agony you're in, the more earnestly you should be praying. He sweats like drops of blood. And that's caused all different types of issues. People say you can't really sweat blood unless you have a very specific rare condition. And that's therefore, did Jesus have that condition? I'll read it more carefully. He sweat like blood. He didn't sweat blood. Actually, you can't sweat blood and sweat like blood. Like blood means he didn't sweat blood. He sweat like blood. In other words, he's in such agony, such fear over what's to come that the sweat is dripping off his face as if he was bleeding. The passion has begun. Friends, Jesus is not just an example, although he is that. But there is a great danger for us, friends, to see Jesus as just an example. This is how we should pray. This is how we should love. This is how we should care about people. He's far more than that. He is the power of salvation for everyone who believes. He's the author of the gospel. And he's the one who makes real, powerful, passionate prayer possible. This is what we celebrate every Easter, friends. And year-round. We celebrate the gospel. This is the message of the Christian faith. You and I have been separated from God, our creator, because of our sin. There's nothing you or I can do to redeem ourselves or bring ourselves back to God. So God sent his son to bear the punishment for sin on himself so that those who have faith in him can be redeemed. 
and given the gift of eternal life. That's the gospel. He took the cup for us so that we would never have to drink it, so that we could be free. And we sing about this. Sometimes it's helpful to see Jesus paid it all. It's an old hymn that, that sings about this. And now complete in him, my robe, his righteousness. Close, sheltered neath his side, I am divinely blessed. Lord, now, in, Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. Or a more modern praise on Chris Tomlin, You Are My King. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you. Well, of course, 2 Corinthians 5.21, I call this Pastor Mike's favorite verse. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As we celebrate the gospel that we, through Christ, and what he alone could do, uniquely, we are reconciled to God. We are adopted by God as his children. So that our prayer is now gospel-empowered. Let's never, friends, as Christians, lose sight of the gospel. Let's never lose sight of it in our own lives. We talked about this last week. Let's celebrate grace. Let's celebrate God's love for us like a father who loves a wayward son or daughter who has returned. Let's not just sing amazing grace. Let's enjoy amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found and blind, but now I see. I see. Let it be, be seen in our prayers that, that, as Kevin was praying earlier, our, our, we celebrate the fact that we were once so far from God in our sin, but that in Christ, He has made us one. Never lose sight of it in your witness, folks. Folks need Jesus. People need Jesus. They need for you to be more than a good person who helps them be a good person. Those aren't bad things. What they need is to know a Savior who has come for them. Friends, as I said, Easter Sunday is probably the best opportunity to invite somebody, a non-Christian friend or neighbor, to church. Pray for them and invite them. What's the worst they're going to do? They're going to say no, right? Pray and invite. Here's an opportunity, friends, that people are usually, perhaps more than any Sunday in the year, more open to come and to be with a local church. Let's have gospel-empowered, prayer-filled witness. Gospel-empowered and prayer-filled witnesses, witness changes the world, friends. Changes the world, and it certainly can change Haverhill and the surrounding towns as well. David Livingston, famous missionary to Africa. He's the one that, you know, David Livingston, I presume, that's the guy. He spent his life as a missionary to Africa, facing hostile tribes and, and African fever, struggling with putting his wife and kids at risk. He was found dead, when he finally came to the end, kneeling beside his cot. In prayer. He understood that the only way the nations are reached with the gospel is through prayer. 45 and 46, disciples need to passionately pray for each other. Pray for each other. Look what happens there. Jesus rises from his prayer. He comes back to his disciples. And what are they doing? Sleeping. <laughs> he asked them to pray. And here they are sleeping. Now, let's, it's easy to get down on these disciples, right? I mean, it's easy to pick on them. But can you relate? 
I mean, I can relate to these disciples. It's late into the night. You've had a long day walking all through Jerusalem. And when you're praying, what are you doing? You've got your head down, maybe your eyes closed, and you start to doze off and start to fall asleep. Jesus responds to them, why are you sleeping? Why are you sleeping? I told you, this is the time for prayer. This is the time for temptation. Get up, stand up and pray. Sometimes when you know, it's easier to stand up when you pray. If, you, if you're starting to fall asleep, stand up. I actually like to walk and pray. That's just my thing. Kena probably thinks I'm crazy. I come in the sanctuary, walk around here by myself because it keeps me awake and alert when I pray. If I sit and kneel, I start to do the very thing he's talking about here, to doze off. But he's letting them know it's all about to go down. Temptation is here. Pray with me and with each other. And we need to pray with and for each other. With and for each other. And it amazes me that Jesus himself looks to his disciples to watch and pray. To pray with him. Actually, we learn from the other gospels that he, he calls a smaller group from the larger group. He calls James, John, and Peter. So he's got the 12, he actually walks three, it takes three more. So the four of them are in a, a separate time praying together. He actually calls out to Simon, Simon, pray. Are you still sleeping? I've asked you to pray. Here He's leaning on his small group to pray with him during this time of temptation. Friends, pray together. When you pray together, it helps you focus, it helps you stay awake. Some people say, well, I just pray on my own. Good. But also get together and pray. It's not one or the other. Yes, you pray on your own, but come together and pray. And friends, this speaks, to, I think, to the importance of teams. When you have a team, you work better together. You see this in sports. We talked about sports. I got a picture of a rugby team, I think, coming up here. Uh, I actually have a friend who's planning a church. and He's, a, he's South African. He's a rug, rugby guy. And he, uh, he's actually the rugby coach at Brown University. So he's planning a church here in New England. He said that rugby is the fastest growing sport in the United States. Interesting, isn't it? But rugby is a team sport. You can't do it alone. And it's in this in business, right? Business, they have teams. You work together as a team because they realize that's more effective. You see this in the military, you know, special operations. They, they work together as a team. Watch this great program on the History Channel uh, called The Selection. People have to go through the special operation uh, training. And one of the, the, the former Navy SEAL guys says... Give me, pick me by myself, I will give you my best shot, I'll work to my absolute limit. Give me a team and I will be invincible. <laughs> you recognize the importance, the value of teams. Friends, when you pray together as a team, you come together, there's power to stay alert and focused. It's the importance of being together as a group. Friends, this is why we have community groups. That's why we break together, break out into community groups. I just want to encourage you again. Uh, you want to be able to be with a group of people that you're able to lean on. For prayer. Able to say, I need you guys. I need you guys to pray for me this week. I've had a rough week. <laughs> can, you, can you be a stone's throw away from me and praying? Now you can say, well, this group failed, Jesus. Yep, they did. Pretty badly. Actually, we learned from the other two, the other synoptic gospels that they, this happened three times. It was, he came back once, they were sleeping. came back a second time, they were sleeping. came back the third time, they were sleeping. And he said, get up because the time is here. It's too late anyway. And that's true of you and me. You'll be part of small groups that sometimes fail you. Christians will sometimes fail you. And sometimes they will encourage you both. But friends, lean on one another. As we pray to one proof with each other. You know, one thing I've really enjoyed um, as a pastor is seeing this. Seeing seeing the, the sort of community of pastors praying together. And I don't know if this is unique, Ron, to us or this is all over the place. But, but here in Haverhill, pastors, they're not in competition with one another. We're praying, we're leaning on one another. Got a, um, 
email two weeks ago, or a message two weeks ago from uh, Pastor John at uh, Granite United. He wrote this, good morning, Rick. We may not know it yet, but this week past, uh, this past week, some women, women in our church were told by their husband that he's having an affair. Some man's wife told him he's worthless. There was a young person in our church that was bullied and would carry that hurt for a very long time. A wife who buried her husband, a child whose father walked out never to come back again, someone who contemplated suicide. Heavy, and yet the Lord has given you a word to speak into each of their lives today, to breathe hope, to let them know there's help, to remind them God has an amazing plan for their lives, and to tell them their story is still being written. Today is going to be a day where their life changes. Begin, their life change, changes begin being rewritten, and this chapter will begin with, my life changed when I heard a pastor. Praying for you today. Let's love the sheep today, and some are really hurting. You're incredible. <laughs> Encouragement of prayer. And last week, we got another prayer request, another one, a similar one from Terry Dorsett. Remember Terry, he preached here not too long ago, executive director for the BCID. In my devotions this morning, I prayed for you. The Lord reminded me of this great truth. May it encourage you as it did to me, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Of course, I passed it on. Praying for, sent a message to a friend, a pastor in Danville, Dave Hammer, said, hey, praying for you this morning that God would empower your ministry as you seek to preach the word and minister to your people, friends. We need to be praying with and for each other. I need you guys as a church to pray for me. You guys tell me often that you're praying for me, and it is a huge encouragement, and I am praying for you. Be the disciples that stay awake, that stay awake, that make time to pray. You hear all the time, I, don't, I just don't have time, I don't have time to pray. Well, you know, you get 24 hours in a day, you get seven days in a week like everybody else. The question is not a matter of time, it's a question of priority. Does prayer rise to the level of priority that you do make time for it, or does it not? Let's succeed where these disciples failed, to hold one another up in prayer. Jesus empowers, models, and calls for passionate prayer. He's our example. He's our power. And he calls his disciples to pray with and for one another. Friends, if you read church history, if you know anything about church history, every local church revitalization, every revival, every great movement of God begins and continues with prayer. Let this, friends, as we approach Easter, be a season of prayer for you. A prayer for you to invite your one. A prayer to enjoy the presence of God. Pray with me. Gracious Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the way he models prayer for us. Not as a rote ritualistic activity that he does out of a certain obligation, but out of a regular desire to communicate with his heavenly Father. Help us, Lord, to take that model and to follow it to be in regular communication with you, not because we must, but because we want to. 
But help us to also recognize Jesus as not just the model of prayer, but the power behind reconciled prayer. The power behind the gospel that makes us reconciled to you, Father, so that we can know you as Abba. As we, that we can know you intimately and have fellowship with you. And let us, Lord, heed the calling of Jesus to stay awake and to pray with one another. Let's keep praying, Lord, for each other and help us to keep praying with one another too. Thank you for all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can you stand here? Speaking of prayer.